Buenos dias, familia. Buenos dias. How are you guys doing today? I hear you're very excited about Habakkuk, and uh, you'll be even more excited about what we're going to talk about when I tell you what we're going to talk about, and that is waiting. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> One of our favorite things to do in this world, right, is waiting, and of course I mean that sarcastically. Our whole lives right now, in our context, are built in such a way that we are trying to minimize the amount of time we wait for the things that we want. When you go to order Chipotle online um, and it says, have it the order now or have it later, nine times out of ten, you're picking now. You order your coffee from Starbucks on your Starbucks app because you don't want to show up and wait in line for your coffee. Right? We, the only place we're kind of willing to wait is Chick-fil-A, right? Because <laughs> they've figured out a good system that even though we see 20 cars in line, we know we'll be out within five minutes. But everywhere else, we say, no, I don't want to wait. And what I've discovered and what I am discovering in my life uh, right now is that some of God's greatest work is done while we wait. Some of God's greatest work and our faith is done while we wait. And so today we're going to find a beautiful example of what waiting looks like in a faithful way. What waiting looks like in a faithful way. Our brother Habakkuk is going to show us what waiting looks like in a faithful way. And if you were here last week, or if you weren't, uh, let me catch us up real quick. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. He's a little different than other prophets because most other prophets would come before the people with the word of God. So they would receive a word from God and they would say it to the people. But Habakkuk comes to God on behalf of the people and repeats God's own words back to him because Habakkuk is expecting something from the Lord. And so we see that Habakkuk 2,600 years ago comes to the Lord and it's believed that he might have written this over 36 years it took him 36 years to go through these complaints, through these prayers before the Lord. And if you think you've been praying for any amount of time, imagine praying almost four decades for God to work and do what he wants him to do. This is a man that knows how to wait. This is a man that knows how to trust. This is a man that knows how to come before the Lord with both of those things. And today we're going to be in good company with him because he asks some really good questions that many of us have. Last week, he comes before the Lord and he says, Lord, your people are in decay. The kingdom of Judah is in decay. It's being attacked. It's about to be taken prisoner by Babylon. What are you going to do? And he says, how long must I wait? How long before you do something? And then he asks the next question that many of us have as we go through trials and tribulations. And that question is, why? Why are you allowing these things to happen? Why are you allowing your people to decay? Why are you allowing your people to go in this direction? And God answers him. God, in his grace and in his mercy, listens to Habakkuk, and he answers him, but not the way Habakkuk expects him to answer. He says, I'm going to do something great. Behold, look at what I'm going to do. You won't even believe it if I told you everything. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to use the Chaldeans to come and bring judgment upon my own people. The people that you're praying against, the people that you want me to protect uh, the, the Israelites against, those are the people that I'm going to use to bring judgment, to bring reproof against my own people. 
And Habakkuk is probably left wondering, Lord, I don't get what you are saying. This is not what I am praying for. Lord, I am expecting you to move in miraculous ways to save your people. Is this not the God that you are? And this is where we find ourselves in today's text. So he goes in verse 12 and says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. I've titled today's sermon, Complaining Prayer for Deeper Faith. The whole book is based around these complaints that Habakkuk has. And I believe that these complaining prayers are what God uses to give us deeper faith while we wait. And he comes before the Lord and he says, are you not from everlasting? He is professing something that's almost rhetorical that he knows to be true. God is everlasting. But he almost comes to God in an interrogation manner. If you are everlasting, why are you not doing what I am asking you to do? Now, when we think of complaint, many times we think of things like going to a restaurant and your server's kind of slow. And so you call the manager over to do what? To complain. And if you're too nice to do that, then you go on Yelp, right? You use your little fingers to do what? To complain. But when Habakkuk here uses the word complaint, um, for what he is expressing, it's, it's not really just him trying to grieve offenses against him. In fact, the word here is the word for correction. And so when we think of complaining prayer, when we think of complaints, I want you to think of it this way. When uh, your wife comes to you and says, honey, did you take out the trash? Is that a complaint or is that a correction? When you go up to your kids' rooms at the end of the day and you say, hey, is your room clean yet? Because you clearly see that it is not. Complaint or correction, or both. I want us to think of complaining prayer as both, an opportunity for us to come before the Lord with what we feel needs to be done, but also the opportunity for him to correct what he needs to correct in us. And that is Habakkuk's posture here. And so he comes before the Lord and says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? I expect you to act a certain way. And the first thing that we see Habakkuk do in his complaining prayer is express deep honesty before the Lord. See, God uses complaining prayer to bring about deep honesty in us. As I was navigating this text this week, and I am in a season where I am waiting on the Lord to answer things that I am going through. I'm expecting him to show up, and, I, and I'm asking him, Lord, please do something about these things that, have, that feel like they're never ending One of the hardest parts about this text for me was actually this verse, was the reality that I don't think I'm being honest enough. What I'm realizing is that our circumstantial prayers reveal our disbelief. Our our circumstantial prayers, the way we pray to God, actually reveal our disbelief at times. You see, Habakkuk comes and says, are you not from everlasting? He knows he's from everlasting. He knows God is sovereign, and yet he's saying, Lord, I know this. I'm having a hard time believing this. And for me, it was difficult to come before the Lord and bear my heart and go to the deepest parts of my heart and say, Lord, there's still some disbelief in me. I am like the father in Mark 9 who comes before the Lord and says, Lord, uh, my son is possessed. I need you to free him. And the Lord and Jesus says to him, you just need to believe. And he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I think this is what Habakkuk is doing here is he coming before the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But in order for us to do that, God is asking us to have this deep honesty. He's asking us to have this deep, from the bottom of our heart, question of, Lord, I know you are good, but I just don't experience it right now. I know what the Bible says about your sovereignty, but it seems like you are not really in control. And the dangers of stopping there is that then we try to take control. Then then we try to run ahead of God and say, Lord, I expect you to do 
things this way, and when you don't, I will step in. I think about Psalm 23, a psalm that we probably memorized as kids. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, when we are at the mountaintops, when we have success, when things go our way, we don't oftentimes go to God and grow close to God because we feel like champions. We're at the top of the mountain. It is in the valleys, though, that we need, desperately need God's nearness. And it is in those valleys where we find God comes close to us. It is in those valleys where we find God protects us. It is in those valleys where we feel good, God's good, being a good shepherd over our lives. It is where we find his comfort and his protection. And so when we go through the valleys, God is drawing near so that we can be honest with him. And what he is doing through these circumstances is bringing a deep honesty in us that one awakes, awakens us to truly believe to truly believe him to be what he says he is, but also to truly see what we don't yet believe about him. Habakkuk goes on in verse 12, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up, swallows up the man more righteous than he? What Habakkuk is saying is, I have this idea of what righteousness is. I have this idea of what holiness is. I expect you to act on that. I expect you to do what I need you to do. And he's coming before the Lord with his deep honesty. He goes on in verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings the wicked foe. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk looks at the nation that's about to take over Israel and says, they're gathering up your people like fish. They're putting them in their net and, and they are using your people to have rich and luxury luxurious lives. They live in a way that is not righteous. They live based on themselves. And what we see here is almost a cry of, Lord, save your people, but save them the way I want you to save them. Save the righteous the way I think you need to save them. And what I think we find in Habakkuk that's also in some of us is a little bit of self-righteousness when we come before the Lord that way. We're telling God, I think you know how you should be doing things. I think you should be doing them this way. And then we look across and say, Lord, but look at the people who don't know you. Look at the people who don't trust you. Why are they doing so well? Why are they succeeding? And in our context, I think that uh, we are pursuing something that I'm calling uh, just this baseline pursuit. We have this idea in our heads that if we have this X amount of money, we'll be okay. When we reach X amount of years working, we can retire and be okay. When our kids get to X age, they'll be self-sufficient and things will be okay. When I reach a certain place in my career, things will be okay. And we have this baseline pursuit that we use that's based on comparing ourselves to those that are unrighteous, to the, to the things of this world. We look across and we see and say, Lord, those are the things that will make me happy. But when the abundance ceases, our faith is exposed. When we don't have those things, when those things don't come soon enough, and or worse, they do come and they still don't satisfy, our faith is exposed. And so we read this, and I want to challenge you to look at what parts of your life 
you've compared to others. I want you to challenge you to think about what things you've set as a baseline to say, Lord, if I just had this, I'd be okay. But God uses, again, even this complaining prayer, even this brutal honesty that we go before him and say, Lord, if I just had this, to do a few things in us, to grow our faith deeper in him. And we see this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Habakkuk continues, it says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. What we find in Habakkuk is that he doesn't just stop by being brutally honest. Can you imagine if you told your spouse um, all their faults and then just stopped there? Like that would not make for a good date night, right? If we just showed up to date night and said, look, these are all things that I don't like about you. Uh, I can guarantee we wouldn't go home and, and say, man, that was, that was so refreshing for my soul, right? We, we go to these date nights, we have these conversations, and we bring up these grievances for a reason, but it's not the end all be all. It's not enough for us to cry out to the Lord because if that's all we do, we will miss his answer. If all we ever do is cry to the Lord and say, Lord, I need this, I need that, here are all my complaints, and we don't take Habakkuk's next posture, we will miss what the Lord has for us. And what is that that Habakkuk does? He positions himself on the watchtower. He goes up and he says, I will station myself. There is this idea, this imagery that he is going up to this watchtower and he's going to position himself there as long as, as he needs to be there to listen from the Lord. See, while he's up at this watchtower, he's able to do something. He's able to look out. He's able to see friends coming, but he's also able to see foes coming. He's able to see whenever the um, enemies are about to approach him, but he's also able to see when friendly uh, forces are coming close to him. And what he's gaining by going up to this tower is perspective. And what I think Habakkuk does here is he says, Lord, this is my honest truth. I'm having a hard time believing that you are everlasting, that you care, that you are good, that you're even going to act. But while I uh, cry out to you, I will position myself in such a way that I can listen. When you cry before the Lord, is your next step to say, all right, well, act, or I'll take my, my turn at acting on this? Or do we position ourselves with humility in a position of listening, in a position where God can shape our, our perspective? The second thing that we find in Habakkuk is that he, God uses complaining prayer to correct our perspective. We read in scripture to not lean on our own understanding, and yet our culture tells us that if we work hard enough, if we read enough, if we do enough, that we'll know how to make things happen. But God says, don't lean on your own understanding. Instead, in all our ways, we should acknowledge him. And how do we acknowledge him? It's by listening to what he has for us through his word, by listening to what he has for us through prayer, by listening to what he has for us through the community of God that he's given to bless our lives, by listening to what he has for us through sermons, through podcasts, through worship. He uses all these avenues to correct our perspective. Today we sang very beautiful truths about God. And it's, it's, it's beautiful to be here together and to sing that all of the promises find their yes and remain in Christ. We sing that. We want to believe that. But when we leave and go to work tomorrow and things aren't good, when our coworkers mistreat us, when our spouses don't act or react the way we want them to, when our kids aren't doing all the things that we want them to do, it's harder to say all the promises find their yes and amen in Christ because we don't see 
a solution. We don't see God acting. And when we don't, Habakkuk says, let us posture ourselves in such a way that we're okay being corrected, that we're okay saying, I don't know everything. I don't know everything, and I don't understand everything. In fact, Lord, I need you to correct my perspective. God wants to give us godly perspective amidst our frustration, but we settle for a lot less. We want a lot less from him, and what we want is relief. What we want is comfort. What we want is simply to escape the situations we have now instead of truly wanting to see God for who he is. I'm reminded of our brother Job. At the very beginning of his story, the enemy goes up to heaven and God says, there's no man more righteous than Job on earth. And God tests Job. He loses everything, his family, his land, his, he loses everything. And his words are, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then the story continues. And around chapter 7, he says, Lord, why are you targeting me? This is enough. And he demands an answer from the Lord. Lord, why are you doing what you are doing? And God answers him. God says, are you in control of the universe? Let me show you all the things that I take care of, all the things that I do. And as Job is listening, he realizes the Lord really is sovereign. The Lord really is as big as he says he is. And though Job finds no answer to any of his questions, what he finds is something even greater. He finds an intimacy with God that he could in any other way have experienced without coming before the Lord and being honest. And at the end, he says uh, these words, from here and I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He's got no answers to any of his questions. And yet he rejoices in being able to say, from here and I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. When you and I go through circumstances, is that enough? Is God enough? Is it enough if the Lord reveals himself to us and says, this is who I am. I am faithful. I am steadfast. I will make good on my promises according to my plan, not according to yours. Is that enough for us? I think God is trying to teach us that, but we can only receive that when we have a posture of humility. The second thing we see here is in verse 2. He says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. He tells Habakkuk, all right, you've been waiting for an answer. I'm about to give it to you. Write this down. Make it clear. Make it clear because I'm about to explain it to you. And so Habakkuk gets his uh, hammer and chisel because he's about to put this on tablets. And he's like, all right, Lord, I'm ready for your answer. I'm ready for your answer. And God says, are you ready for it? Wait for it. Here it is. Wait for it. And Habakkuk's like, all right, I'm ready. No, that's it. Wait for it. That's the answer that God gives Habakkuk. Wait for it. And many of us, we come before the Lord and are waiting for an answer, and God's saying, all right, here's your answer. Ready? Wait for it. And, and, and we're waiting to hear his strategy, his plan, the next steps that we are supposed to take with our lives. And God is saying, no, the answer is none of those things. The answer is simply this. Wait for it. Wait for God's timing. I was thinking about our other brother, Joseph, a very sad story in the Old Testament, and yet a story that was also a big blessing at the end. If you don't know, his brothers sold him into slavery. He was um, wrongfully accused of a crime and put to jail. And at the end of all that, God shows him grace, and he ends up pretty high up in, 
in the, in the kingdom that he was in. He's administering a lot of things for this kingdom, and his brothers show up to, to ask for food, to ask for help. And when they come before him, they realize who he is. And Joseph could have very easily said, all right, it's payback time. But he doesn't. Joseph looks at them, talks to them, and he says, they don't be afraid. And he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. After many years of trials and tribulations of wrongful uh, imprisonment, of things that you think are not fair, why would God allow these bad things to happen? Joseph was able to acquire something that many of us are missing, and that is godly perspective. Godly perspective. You see, when events happen in our lives, there's the event, and there's the, then there's our perspective, our perception of that event. And many of us have a hard time understanding or perceiving what is happening in this event. And so when we go through trials and tribulations and we have pain in our lives, we look at the events according to what we think is right, according to what we think must happen. But God in his grace, what he is doing is shaping our lives for us to understand that he's doing something even bigger that we can never understand unless we come to him and ask him, Lord, help shape my perspective to have godly perspective. Will we have the posture of this is bad, people intend this to be bad for me, or God intended this for good? That even the trials and tribulations that you and I are going through, God is using for good. That, honestly, is really hard to believe. It's really hard for me to believe when I am in the midst of tribulations, when I feel like I've done everything I'm supposed to do right. Everything, Lord, I've done it. Why don't you have my back? Why don't you show up when I need you to? And God is saying, I'm doing a greater work in you if you would only trust, if you would only come to me and uh, believe that I am doing a great work in you and that you would approach this with godly perspective. What God is helping us learn is to see our circumstances in light of his plan and not in light of our pain. He's helping us see circumstances in light of his plan and not in our pain. Verse 3 says, For still the vision awaits the point of time. It hastens to the end and will not lie, not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and will not delay. We will not be able to truly wait unless we have godly perspective. So let me ask you a question. How do you wait for the Lord? Is that something you think about? Is that something you address in your life? How do you wait for the Lord? Are you the type of person that comes before the Lord with your honesty and then humbles yourself before him and says, Lord, but teach me. Show me your ways. Or do you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to do this, um, but you're not acting. So now it's time for me to step in and do what I need to do. God is saying we need this godly perspective to truly wait and not just wait, but persevere through the waiting, grow through the waiting, mature through the waiting, have a deeper faith to, through the waiting that even if we don't get the answer we expect, which, by the way, many times we don't, we still have a deeper faith in knowing that God is good, that he does care, that he is present, that he is near, that he has not forgotten but this is all combated with the voices we have around us, with the culture we have around us where we want everything quick and we want everything now. And when those voices are louder than the voice of God, we take the position of God. We take the stance of God. And so we act trying to solve our own problems only to make them worse. 
And then we have to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry for what I have done. I don't want to belittle our present reality. See, I don't want you to leave here thinking, uh, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how hard it is. God doesn't understand how hard it is. Sure, it's easy for you to say, just wait, persevere, trust the Lord. Those are easy terms to think about, but you don't understand how hard it is. And I want to tell you, Habakkuk, over four decades, understood how hard it was to confront these realities that he was in. I understand difficulties in life time and time again that keep you up at night, that wake you up in the middle of the night, and all you can do is pray before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what comes next. Help me trust you. Help me believe in you. Help me see you for who you are. I do understand, and I don't want to belittle that it stinks to go through these tribulations. But these tribulations are a guarantee when we look at the gospel. These tribulations are a guarantee when Jesus says, in this world, you will have affliction. The Christian life was never meant to be the absence of affliction. It was never meant to be the escape of affliction. It was never meant to be, if you just tithe, if you just come to church, if you just serve, if you do all the right things, everything in your life will be good. That's not the Christian life. No, in fact, he says, you will have afflictions, but take heed, I've overcome the world. The greater joy that we find amidst our afflictions is what? Christ. He is the greater joy to experience. He is the greater hope. He is the greater prophet that we look to for answers. And that is what we find here in verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not a bright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. When we try to do things our own way, we are saying we know better and our soul is puffed up. We have the selfish pride, self-dependency, the I can do anything attitude, the I will get myself out of this situation attitude, the I don't need anyone or anything attitude, the believe in yourself attitude, the believe I can fly attitude, the I don't need God attitude. Now remember where we started, brutal, deep honesty. If we're being honest, we all have this attitude in us that we come before the Lord and we almost say, Lord, I need you to solve this, but if you don't, I don't really need you. I'm going to figure this out. Either we resign from the situation, we remove ourselves, we fight harder to get over it. And God is saying, that's not a good way of life. In fact, when we do that, what we're doing is we are puffing up our souls. And instead, he is taking this honesty and saying, lay before me, bring it to me. Don't go somewhere else, bring it to me. And then we have this sharp contrast. But the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous will not live by good strategies, which, by the way, I love. The righteous won't live by awesome spreadsheets, which I also love. The righteous won't live by great plans and great things that we can muster up in our imagination. No, he says the righteous will live by faith. To have true life, to truly live here means to act on this faith, to live by this faith. Why? Because when we live only by faith, what we are saying and what we are doing is we're dropping our defenses. In our humanity, we're saying, I can't do anything else about this. The only one that can act and do anything about this is God. And so I will come before the Lord with nothing in hand, with nothing to give, and simply trust that he will work, that he is working. Faith strips us of arrogance and leaves us needy before God to seek salvation by him alone. And so the just knows that he brings nothing before the Lord. The just knows that the only thing he brings to the Lord is the same faith that he's been given. This is the most important verse of this book. 
It's so important that it's quoted three times in the New Testament, and I want to stand in one of those texts. If you turn with me to Romans 1, we'll finish out there. Romans 1, verse 16. This is Paul opening up the letter to the Romans. He's explaining the gospel message, and he quotes this text from Habakkuk. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. See, the the third thing that complaining prayer does is it centers our lives around the gospel. Even in 600 years before Christ entered the picture, Habakkuk was looking ahead at a hope that was even bigger than he could understand, and that hope was in Christ. That hope was in the gospel. That hope was that we would, you and I today would live by the gospel, centered around the gospel. Paul says that it, the, this is power for salvation. We're not ashamed of it because it is the power for our salvation. And in a text where he's talking about justification, how we are justified, he's saying, we, we are not justified by works. There's nothing we can do to have right standing before the Lord. The only thing we have is faith. And that is the faith that is given to us from Christ. God is revealing his plan to us, but that re- revelation only comes through faith. God is growing us and maturing us into stronger disciples, into disciples that are closer to him, into disciples that truly can see him. That only happens through faith, not by works. And so let me give you a couple of practical things to end. How does this happen? Start off with deep honesty. Go before the Lord this week and say, Lord, I, uh, I know this to be truth about, true about you, but I'm having a hard time believing it. Deep honesty. Deep honesty before the Lord. Lord, I, I have this notion that if I just had this baseline, I'd be okay. And I don't realize that this baseline is not you. Help me believe that you're far greater than any baseline I could have deep honesty. Second, position yourself to listen, to listen and be corrected, to be corrected that your perspective might not be accurate. And so the Lord must come through his word, through his people to shift your perspective to a godly one that can understand that while we wait, some of his greatest work is done and then center your life around the gospel. And the gospel life is quite simple. Repent and believe. When you confront yourself, when you confront the deepest parts of your heart that don't believe, repent. Lord, I don't believe that you are good. I don't believe that you are present. Lord, I don't believe that you have my back. I don't believe that you care. Forgive me because I know that's not true. I know that that's a lie from the enemy. Help me believe. Help me believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. And if you have a hard time seeing those those areas in your life where you have disbelief, talk to a brother or sister that's next to you here in church and say, hey, bro, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm having a hard time with. Pray with me. Let's discover what God's will is for my life. And then we can truly say, um, like, a, like Habakkuk does at the end, that the ultimate thing of all this is that we would be able to worship God for who he truly is. That's the greatest joy you and I get to experience on this earth. It's not relief. It's not comfort. It's not luxury. It's not success. It's not self-dependence. It's not all the things that the world tells us are important. It's one thing. It's Christ. Christ alone. That's all we need in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good that even in the midst of our trials and tribulations, um, even in the midst of us fumbling through those trials and tribulations, 
Your grace is greater than uh, anything we can experience. You are patient with us. You are not um, offended by our honest prayers. In fact, you welcome our honest prayers. You would rather us come to you in honesty than turn away in sorrow and fear and guilt. You would rather us approach your throne with humility, knowing that we don't know your plans, knowing that we don't understand your plans, than to walk away from you. Father God, today I just want to pray for a deeper faith in us, that we would be like Habakkuk, deeply honest with you, but also deeply faithful to you. That's all you are asking of us, is that we would remain faithful through these trials and tribulations, through the circumstances, even when there is no answer in sight. Help us believe, because our disbelief is great. There are big things around us competing for this faith, and we have subtly given in to believing lies around us that if we just had this or we just had that, things will be better. Help us call those things out for what they are, lies, and help us see the truth, the truth of the gospel that sets us free so that we would be men and women who are righteously living by faith and faith alone. Nothing else. Help us hold on to who you are and who you say you are in our lives. I just pray that you awaken us to truly believe your truth, to truly believe that Christ is far better than anything we could ever need, want, or ask for. We love you. We will keep waiting for your answers. In the meantime, Lord, we will continue to come to you seeking a deeper love for you and for your plan. It's in your name that we pray, in your name that we pray today. Amen.